You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Jeffrey O'Mura. He is an actor, activist, and labor organizer. We've actually never met in person, but I feel like I know him through my husband. They work together and have become friends. I really wanted to have him on to talk about his work with Fairwage on stage, be an arts hero, and especially his current campaign. He's running for city council here in New York City's District 6 on the Upper West Side. Our community is in need of arts advocates in these positions, so even if you aren't in his district, I encourage you to check out his campaign website. If you're interested, look into volunteering. It's jeffreyomura.com. I hope you enjoy the 170th episode of The Compass. try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist. And as we were just talking about off air, what does the dark side mean to you most often? When I say that, what do you think of? <laughs> uh, I, I honestly don't know. I um, There is, uh, you know, I think, I think every artist has this 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 feeling of you know will will this ever become a profitable career for me mm-hmm. is will i ever be able to do this full time and that's been the constant struggle of my life for the last 15 years um i've you know i've been extraordinarily lucky some years where i'm making more money than i know what to do with and then there are some years where uh it's barely trickling in and uh, every dollar counts and i'm i'm struggling to pay my bills and that, you know, I talking to friends, I know that's the case almost across the board. Um, it's, you know, it's that idea of, well, is this something I can do forever when, um, you know, when, <laughs> it's some, when many years, it barely covers, covers uh, my bills. So when you are in one of those places where maybe that's the case and you're feeling really iffy about it, what are some of the things that you um, you turn to that might be able to pull you out of it? You know, the last four years um, has, has really changed everything for me. That's, you know, four years ago is when I got involved with Fair Wage on stage mm-hmm. and uh, started meeting artists who understood their value as an artist and, um, and what our, our value as artists within this city uh, and started talking about ways to stand up for ourselves and to improve our own financial pictures and, uh, and the, the financial livelihoods of, of our entire community. Um, and that, you know, it's the, it's the financial aspect of being an artist that is so challenging. Um, and when we started doing something about it, suddenly it felt way more manageable. Um, it felt like, oh, well, we actually don't have to settle for the status quo anymore. Um, yes, it is, it, it is, and will continue to be a financial struggle to be an artist, but we, there's so much we can do to make it just a little bit easier for ourselves and for, um, for our community. And when you guys were working on fair wage on stage, what were some of the, the things that you used to kind of set a course for yourselves? Like it, sometimes I feel like when you're starting on a project like that, it can seem overwhelming, the problems that you're trying to fix, 
how did you kind of like make it into manageable steps? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's really, it was really one campaign at a time. So with Fair Wage on stage, we had a, a very clear goal, which was to, um, to, to help our union uh, negotiate more money for us in, in the off-Broadway contract. Um, so we knew, uh, we knew what the goal was, and then that helped, um, that helped us plan, plan around it to, to have conversations with our community, and it made the asks of, of, of people very, um, you know, very specific. Um, and uh, yes, I mean, it just, it just, it's important to know what, what the goal is in order to, to plan a campaign around it. And you eventually were um, elected onto the equity, is it the equity council? I'm not sure of the official yeah. name. Yeah, Actors um, Equities uh, National Council. The council. What has that been like for you to be working within that system? Right. Well, I mean, after after Fair Wage on stage, um, where our union was was able to negotiate between thirty two and eighty three percent wage increases, which broke every record in, in the union's history, um, that was a, a, a huge achievement. But we realized that there was so much more work to do uh, everywhere w- within the union across all of our contracts, um, and we knew that if if we wanted to have the the maximum impact, we would have to get involved from the inside. Um, and so that we could, you know, we could have a voice, um, in all of the contract negotiations. Um, so that's why, that's why I decided to run. Uh, and, and then from the inside, you know, we've, we've been able to make a a whole lot of progress. Um, and I, I think we've, we've been able to change the, the culture of the union a little bit. And it's so easy for, uh, for artists, but especially actors to just accept their fate as uh, as struggling artists, it's you know it's what people tell us all the time. Even you know when you're at a a, a dinner party or, or you know a cocktail party, you're meeting people who who don't work in the arts, and you tell them you're an actor. Uh, you know, oftentimes you'll hear their first response will be, "Oh, what restaurant do you work at?" Right. And it's such <laughs> you know they and they'll just think it's so funny. They it's think so it's so, they think it's so funny as if that's the first time we've heard that. Yeah. Um, and uh, what, what what was I saying? Um, that uh, one it's so easy for actors to fall into that power imbalance, right? Right, yeah. because that's what that's what everyone tells us all the time that that that's what what life is supposed to be like as an artist, and and so that was um, you know we we realized that there were these myths out there that we had to bust, um, and that that's a big one of them. That just because you're an artist does not mean that you have to struggle, um, and. And that, you know, it's it, all of us, all of us uh, buy into that to some degree. Um, so it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant struggle within and, uh, you know, within ourselves and then within the community. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's part of the, the, the cultural change within Actors' Equity Association. Um, Do yeah. you have any other artistic outlets besides acting? Um, I, I write. Um, I've, I, I, I write screenplays. Uh, and that was, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, I was, I suddenly found myself with more free time than I knew what to do with more, more free time than I've ever had in my entire life. And I, you know, I thought I am never going to have this opportunity again, uh, to just work on my art, on my craft. Uh, and so I, I promised myself I would have something to show for, 
for um, for the free time once the pandemic was over. You know, I didn't realize <laughs> a year later we were still going to be in the middle of Nobody it. Nobody did. Um, so I so for those first three months, I, I spent every day writing, uh, and I f- I finished the screenplay that I had been working on for years um, about. Uh, so I, I am half Japanese, mm-hmm. and this screenplay is about the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, which was the entirely Japanese-American regiment during World War II. Uh, you know, our armed forces were segregated, and while the U.S. Uh, put you know, most of the Japanese-Americans into internment camps, all of their sons were sent to the front lines of Europe to, um, to fight the Nazis. And they were some of the first troops to reach one of the Dachau satellite camps um, to free the Jewish prisoners there. And it's, you know, it's a little known story. You know, every Japanese American knows this story, but the wider public does not, um, at least not in the detail that, that they should, mm-hmm. because so many incredible heroic stories came, came from, from this group of men. Um, and I, you know, it's been a long, a long dream of mine to tell, to tell their stories. Uh, and I finally got to finish that screenplay during That's this so pandemic. Exciting. Yeah. Um, have you always been a writer or what, what sorts of resources have you pulled in to help yourself to like develop that part of your, uh, your expression and your career? Yeah. I've, I've always been an amateur writer since, you know, since I was a, a kid, I would write, I would, you know, I would attempt to write, um, stories and, and even novels and plays. And I entered a, a, a playwriting contest when I was in high school and was one of the, um, you know, came in, came in third or fourth, I think. Um, and, uh, I saw you were from Michigan, by the way, the way I, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, from, you are? Where? Yeah, I'm from, um, Clarkston, which is kind of over between Flint and Pontiac. Yeah, not far at all. I'm, well, I'm from Okemos, yeah. which is, uh, a suburb of Lansing. Um, yeah, very, that's probably like a 45 minute drive. Not far at all. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I interrupted you as a, as a kid, you entered the playwriting, uh, contests. Oh yeah. Enter the playwriting contests. Um, I, yeah, had some, had some plays that I wrote performed, um, while I was in college at Carnegie Mellon. We had this, uh, this annual, uh, this, this annual, festival called playground where you could you could do whatever you wanted you could um and you were encouraged to 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 be interdisciplinary is that the word yeah um uh so if you were an actor this was an opportunity for you to write or direct or design something um so i used that to to for for uh to produce some of the plays that i had written uh and that 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 is the last time one of my plays has been produced, <laughs> but I, I you know I've I've been writing ever since. You know my my focus for the last fifteen years has been as an actor, um, but uh, you know now I've I've finally finished this screenplay. That's I would fantastic. You know, uh, I'd love to I'd love to see it produced and share it with the world. That's wonderful. I've been encouraging Frankie to really lean into writing during this time too, and I I finally mm-hmm. got him to sign up for a writing intensive this month with a, a playwright we know oh he should he should i mean he has such a he has such a great background and such i mean such a great family history and that's something that i've been trying to lean into that there are um you know that there are stories you know they say write what you know that's kind of mm-hmm. like it's like what does that mean exactly but i think like there there are stories that only you can tell right 
And that is, and those are the stories that need to be told because, you know, there are stories that other people can write, but there are stories that only you can tell. And, uh, and, and, and that is what, you know, that's part of what makes, makes your artistry, you know, like even as an actor, um, there are choices that only you can make as an actor. You know, you can give two actors the same text uh, for an audition or a monologue or, or whatever, and they're going to make completely different choices. And it's the choices that you make that are your, that make you an artist, that make you the artist that you are. So, you know, as a writer, it's like there, there are stories that only you can tell. So tell those stories. Yeah, I love that. I, th- I feel like for acting training, at least for me, I got sidetracked down a route of like, what do they want to see me be? What do they want from me? And I, I think I lost that for a while of like, well, what makes me unique? What am I bringing to this that only I can? Yeah. And that's, that. I mean, it's hard when you're you're young like that <laughs> to right. see that clearly, but it's such a And cool also thing. when you're going into aud- auditions and you're not getting the role, yeah. you're like, well, what, what could I have done differently? There was something, there was something that they were looking for that I wasn't providing. And sometimes at the end of the day, it's not about, it's not about the choices you make. You just weren't, weren't the type they were looking for. Exactly. I saw that you've done quite a bit of TV work. Do you pro- approach your, um, your TV and theater auditions differently? Not really. No, <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, you know, I, I was lucky. Um, auditioning for TV is, it just is a different craft. Uh, because you are, you are auditioning for a very specific um, frame. You're auditioning for the camera, um, and I, I, I was lucky that I had an internship at Warner Brothers TV casting with Meg Simon. Oh, great! At the time, was the vice president of casting. She was mm-hmm. the head of casting here in New York, and for an entire summer, I was her reader, and I got to, uh, you know, I got to read opposite New York's best television actors. Uh, and I, that's how I learned how to audition on camera. Without that experience, I don't know how I would have made it as a TV actor. Um, but when I, you know, when I moved to New York and started auditioning myself, I knew, I knew exactly what to do in those rooms because I had seen the best actors doing it for, you know, for three months. And I, you know, there's, you know, what, what's the difference between TV acting and theater acting? I think this is this is going to be a controversial statement. <laughs> uh, I think theater actors can get away with a whole lot more bullshit than TV actors can, <laughs> and no one calls them out on it. Because sometimes I'm watching performances in a theater where it's like like bizarre, bizarre performances that are not at all appropriate, that are not telling the story. And, and every, nobody, nobody calls them out. The reviews don't call them out. And it's just like, huh, well, I guess, I don't know. Maybe, maybe is that, is that what, what, what people want to see in the theater? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely off base. <laughs> uh, and then when you see, when you see a performance that's not working on television, you know it, ev- everyone knows it. <laughs> you know, even people who are not, who are not in this business professionally, they know it. And they, they eagerly call it out uh, in a way that, that, that those performances are not called out in the theater. And 
and I don't, I'm, I don't entirely know why that is. Do you? <laughs> well, I mean, you're under that microscope. You're in that tiny, that tiny frame, and then I'm sure part of it must be because that thing people always say about how you're like invited into people's living rooms, you know? So they're, yeah. I feel like everybody's even more confident. Like they're not coming to your space in the theater. You're coming into their home and it's a very personal thing. So I think everyone feels em- empowered to be much more critical. Right, right, right. That's true. We, we, you know, society watches a whole lot more TV than they do theater. So they're just more familiar with, with TV acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even even the phrase like, "Oh, can you make it more theatrical?" It that is generally interpreted as like just big and broad, which is not always helpful. <laughs> um, can we shift gears a little bit? And I want to sure. talk about your city council campaign. Yeah, because that's so exciting. You're running for city council. It's District Six. Am I correct? Uh, District 6 on the Upper West Side, yeah. Before we get into it, I guess, I mean, the interesting, one of the many interesting things about you doing this is that you're doing it during the pandemic. You're running for this seat during the pandemic. So can you tell me a little bit about how this past year has been for you, how you've been dealing with this situation, and then what your decision-making process was to start this campaign? Yeah, so I... um you know, in March, I saw, uh, I, I was at the Metropolitan Opera for their final performance uh, before they shut down. Wow. And I, I was nervous even being there because we knew that the virus was in New York, but we didn't know how widespread it was. And a doctor friend had invited me and he said, it's fine. I'm a doctor. It'll be fine. I'll bring you a mask. Uh, we absolutely should not have been there that night, but I saw the final performance of the Metropolitan Opera. Um and then from there on out, I was locked in my apartment, basically, for the next three months. I, I live by myself here on the Upper West Side in the studio apartment. And mo- you know, most of my friends had left the city. My family uh, you know, doesn't live here. And I, I decided to stay put because you know, this is my home. This is where I, I knew I would be most comfortable. And we didn't know how long it would be, and it just kept going and going. But those first, you know, the, the, those first three months... I would wake up every morning and and check the news to find out how many of my neighbors had died that day. That that's what that was, um, and I think it, it, it took me a while to process that trauma. I didn't realize it was trauma while we were going through it collectively, but that's what you know. I'm I'm a bit of a news junkie, and so I just I had to know every morning how many of my neighbors died, and when week after week it was. 700 and then 800 every single day. And I would go for a daily walk and I would, you know, the the streets were empty up here on the Upper West Side. I I would go, I'd walk through Central Park. I would sit in Sheep Meadow by myself and meditate. All of Sheep Meadow was empty except for me meditating in the center of it. And I would hear the ambulance sirens in the background. And that's, that's all you would hear on the streets. It took me a long time to realize that that was trauma, uh, and I'm, I'm extraordinarily lucky that I, I my my health was never compromised. My my family is fine. Um, none of my close friends or or any of my family got got um, terribly sick, or, and no one has died. But I've seen 
so many friends um, lose their parents. I, mm. four, four of my dear friends lost parents over the last year. Um, and not, not even to COVID, um, to, to, to other things. That it's, we, we are all going through so much trauma that we are going to, sorry, this is a long tangent, but no, the, the mental health repercussions of this year will be dealt with for, for decades to come. And we, we need a really serious plan to deal with that, um, you know, throughout our city. Uh, so, so, you know, then things got a little easier this summer when, um, when, th- when restaurants opened back up and it got warm. So you could go, you, you know, more comfortably be outside and, and, and friends started coming back and I got to hang out with them in the park. Uh, and, and so it's been okay. It's been okay since the summer. Um, but this summer we realized that help was not coming for the arts community at any level of government. Uh, and we were getting left out of the conversation. So we started organizing again and we created this campaign called be an arts hero, uh, to organize the national arts community to lobby Congress for direct arts relief. Um, at the time, the Senate was negotiating the Heroes Act, and it looked like the arts the arts were going to get left out of that of that bill entirely. Um, and we had about a week before they were planning on voting for it. So we started scrambling, calling up everyone we knew around the country, um, in you know theater and dance and music and comedy and museums everywhere. Uh, and fortunately, that was delayed and delayed, so we we got more time to to um, organize, but. I called up my friend Billy Porter, um, and he was, you know, eager to get involved. So we got him booked on MSNBC's Morning Joe and Late Night with Seth Meyers, where he talked about the campaign, um, and it just coincided perfectly with his uh, with another Emmy nomination for him. Uh, so, uh, so he was able to talk about about the awards and also about being an arts hero and the needs of of, of the arts community during the pandemic. Um, and the, I mean, the needs are just enormous. Our, our community is entirely unemployed right now and facing housing and food insecurity unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, and just, just before Thanksgiving, the Utility Workers Union donated a handful of gift cards to Actors' Equity Association to give away to members in need because the utility workers understood just how dire this, the, the financial situation is for artists. Um, that I mean, that was the moment that broke me. That oh wow, the utility workers get just how desperate our community is right now. Hmm. And you know, and then uh, so I, I started looking at, at what could be done here locally to help the arts community. And I, I had been lobbying city council for arts funding on behalf of off Broadway theaters for the last few years. So I've gotten to know the arts advocates pretty well, and we've got some great ones. The problem is they're all term limited and there may be no one left on city council to advocate for the arts community at a time when we have been wiped out at a time when we need it one most. So I decided that I was going to do something about it. And that's why I'm running for city council to be that advocate for the arts community um, you know, as we as we emerge from this pandemic. That's amazing. When, when was that? When you made that decision? I started thinking about it in the summer. 
yeah. and I, I talked to some of my colleagues, um, you know, from, from that original Fair Wage on Stage campaign. You know, we had run several campaigns together at that point, um, and we, you know, we have a pretty good working relationship. Um, and they were fully on board, and they said, you know what, let's do this. I mean, our, the arts, this is exactly what the arts community needs right now. Uh, and then I, th- so that was, you know, this summer, we announced the campaign in November uh, and started meeting with all of the stakeholders in the industry, the Broadway League, the Off-Broadway League, um, arts, uh, arts policy advocates, individual artists to bring them all into the fold, all of the unions. Um, because, you know, when, what, you know, what we realized was that we are so much more powerful um, collectively. Uh, when the entire arts sector in New York City speaks together and says, look, this is, these are the challenges we face. This is the need in our community. The, you know, the, these challenges need to be taken seriously by all of our elected officials. That's when the elected officials start listening. And we've started to see it. Some, you know, we've got 23 people running for mayor just in the Democratic primary. Oh, wow. Many of them are serious candidates. And we've started to see them uh, approaching the arts community and, and saying, hey, uh, so, you know, what do I need to know about the challenges you're facing? You know, what, what sort of policies are you looking for to, to help your community get back on its feet? Um, and we're, we're being taken really seriously right now. Uh, and now we have five months to get every elected official, every candidate hoping to be an elected official talking about the arts community. That's fantastic. It really is so, I mean, across the country, as you guys have pointed out with Be an Arts Hero, it's a huge, huge industry and huge, um, a huge market across the entire country. But especially here in New York, there's just so many artists. There are so many artists. And, you know, the Be an Arts Hero um, organizers, um, they found a really receptive message with within the U.S. Senate that, you know, our organizers met with over 60 U.S. Senate offices. And, you know, some of these, when, when you're talking to Lisa Murkowski's office, who's, uh, you know, the senator from Alaska, and you say, hey, I want to talk to you about the arts. Um, at first, they're like, well, you know, what what do we care about the arts? It's right. Alaska. But when we can say, oh, well, the arts provide this much, you know, X number of dollars um, in economic impact in Alaska and create X number of jobs for Alaskans, then suddenly they realize, oh, we're, we're talking about business. We're talking about jobs. We're talking about people's livelihoods here. And Demo- that's something that Democrats and Republicans can get behind. Um, and I think that's, that's an, a large part of, of why um, we were successful in getting $15 billion in direct arts relief in the most recent stimulus package. Uh, that people you know, people finally get it. Our, our, our elected representatives finally get it. Oh, the, the arts are jobs. The arts are business. This is how people feed themselves. It would just be amazing if that can continue past this moment and past the pandemic, if that way of thinking can just become the norm in our society. Because that's where we started yeah. this conversation when you and I started talking was with it's so easy to get in that mindset of we're not valuable. We don't deserve to be compensated yeah. for our time. And that's something that, um, that being arts hero is as um, that's one of their big goals. They want a cabinet level position for the right. arts 
in the Biden in the Biden administration. And uh, it, it's something that that the Biden administration is actually taking seriously. Um, I, I have a friend who sat on uh, the Biden Harris transition team's arts policy committee, and they have not published this this arts platform yet. But I know it's something that they're hanging on to and something that they're considering seriously. And one of those, the, the major proposals is having a czar, an arts czar um, mm. in the White House. So, it, you know, it's unclear. Is that going to be a cabinet level position? I'm not sure. But to have at least one person who's overseeing the entire arts industry working in the White House, who is keeping, um, who's keeping the Biden administration, you know, constantly thinking about our community and the needs of our community would be incredibly important, you know, because as, as Bernard Ciro points out all the time, you know, the, the art sector in, in America is larger than the transportation sector. And yet the transportation gets a cabinet level secretary. Mm-hmm. They got, um, you know, tens of billions of dollars in, in relief money in, um, throughout, you know, in, in multiple stimulus packages. Why not the arts? Yeah, it's very, it's very strange it's that kind of level of respect that doesn't seem to be there. And then yet we're also seeing the fact that everyone's been home for the past year and what they're doing, the majority of their time doing is consuming art. (laughs) It's it's consuming art, right. Uh, You know, all of our, all of our streaming services have gotten us through. I mean, that is, that is a major reason we have survived this pandemic. Imagine sitting at home, without access to to television to those streaming services for for so many people around the country it has given them an outlet to to connect with with the human story to feel something to even just to pass the time yeah just to have some sort of structure to to not let yeah. their minds go in the wrong direction through all of this it's just and, and also to have a common culture yeah so when you you know, even when you're watching the Great British Bake Off, you know, on Netflix, you can you can then go to your friends on on social media or wherever and say, "Oh my gosh, did you see what happened?" Um, it mm-hmm. like having that common culture is so incredibly important, um, and it's something that I think we are, are are seeing right here in New York City, where we are used to having that. That we that because the live performance has been shut down since March, we are. You know, we are facing this cultural depression in New York City, and it is, uh, it's you know, it, it's it, it is actually it's scary because it provides the arts provides so much meaning, so much catharsis in our society that, especially as we're dealing with these mental health challenges in this pandemic, we are so desperately needing in need of catharsis. Mm-hmm. And, and and that feeling of human connection that um, that in a lot of ways only the arts can provide, uh, and it's it, you know it it will the arts will be a major um, avenue of, of healing for our yeah. society as we as we get out of this pandemic. I agree. Yeah, and I'm 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 just curious to see what people do with that on an individual level, like what sorts of works of art we see coming out of this. And then also hopefully seeing um, institutions and systems step up to the moment and have to have grown from this pause, you know, to really take this as an opportunity to 
to take our industry in a whole different direction and leave behind some of those archaic and destructive parts of how they've been run, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think uh, the industry is listening. I think it's going to be a very different industry coming out of this pandemic. I, we, I've already seen some of that. Um, you know, after, after the black lives matter protests and we see you white American theater, mm-hmm. there were, there were calls throughout our industry to respond um, to the, to, you know, these, these calls of systemic racism um, that are, that are, you know, exist throughout, throughout this, this industry. And as an Asian American actor, I, that is what I've dealt with over the last 15 mm-hmm. years. Um, when, when TV production started back up this fall, I suddenly had more auditions than I have had in years and where and they they weren't just uh, you know typically uh, the, the roles that I'd be called in for were you know open to all ethnicities, right. which means that I was then competing. Uh, you know that I have so many so many friends, so many white actor friends who say, yeah. "Oh, you know, you're so lucky. You just have you have less competition than we do because there's so many more white actors for auditioning for every role." Like, no, when I go into an audition room, I am competing the way that, that it has traditionally been, been, been structured. I'm competing with every other Asian actor, every mixed race actor, every black actor, Indian mm-hmm. actor, Latino actor, Middle Eastern, because we all get grouped into this, this other category. Uh, but now, this, this past fall, I started seeing all of these roles that were specifically written for Asian American actors. These were Asian American characters, written with so much more specificity um, than I had ever seen. That's great. and I think that is in response to uh, to the protests this summer. That you know we we are going to see a, a pretty big cultural revolution within our industry, um, and uh, I you know I'm hoping that means a lot more diverse casts um, on our on our stages and on our screens. Are there any? resources that you used when you were setting up your your campaign that if someone another artist listening or ever thinking of running for office that they should know about that you would want to call out right now something that really helped you figure out what you needed to do and how to move forward uh yeah there, there are great resources out there i don't know if i don't know if we've taken advantage of them. <laughs> yeah, you kind uh, of already had your own infrastructure right we did we did yeah. and um you know run for something is a national organization that helps uh candidates who, who don't have experience campaigning before um figure out exactly what to do they have incredible resources uh so yeah we we have you we have used some of their resources but we you know i this is a, a very unusual campaign in that you know, my, I, I have a group of people that I've run multiple campaigns with before, and this is our first time running a city council campaign, but we at least had some experience, um, in, in managing campaigns and in, in organizing that. I mean, that is the most important thing. How do you organize people? Our experiencing, our experience was in organizing union members, organizing workers, uh, and organizing voters and campaign supporters is, is very similar. Uh, so we were able to call on that experience. Um, but if you, you know, if you don't have that experience, yes, please, yes, rely on something like, uh, like run for something. The New York City Campaign Finance Board, which is the, the, the agency that oversees all, all campaign finance in the city, they do 
an incredible job of, of making this as easy as possible, uh, which is something I, you know, I don't think we're used to with, um, with government agencies, but they, they really want anyone to be able to run for, for public office. And so we have, we're, we're assigned a liaison, one person to answer all of our questions um, when it comes to campaign oh, finance. And great. campaign finance law is pretty complicated. Um, but anytime we have a question, we have one person to email or call. And it's, 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 it makes it very easy. Okay. That's great. And how could people get involved to support your campaign going forward through the next couple months, even so, if they're not in your district? Yeah, we, we announced the campaign eight weeks ago, and in seven weeks, we fully funded the campaign. Oh, wow. Um, so we, we raised a whole lot of money, and it's everything we need uh, for uh, to, to run this campaign through the June 22nd primary. Congratulations. Um, thank you. We'll, we'll need a little bit more money for when we win the primary and move on to the general, <laughs> but we have all the money we need for the primary election. So now, uh, if you are uh, an arts, uh, you know, if you are an artist, if you're an arts worker, um, if if you're just an arts patient, someone who, who loves the arts, we need your help getting the word out. Um, and you can, you know, you can go to the website, uh, jeffreyomura.com and sign up to volunteer. And we need people. So, so here's, I, I, I'm going to be totally transparent with you. We're going to win this election by talking to more voters than any other candidate. And we can do that by empowering an army of unemployed artists who are eager to have a voice at the table, um, to have a voice in City Hall. And we, so far, we, you know, we've, we've started building, that, um, b- building that, that army of volunteers but we need a whole lot more because we're going to be texting and phone banking and knocking on doors. We need help collecting signatures for the petitions to get on the ballot. Uh, and we need that, that. That takes a lot of people. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's the best way to, to get involved. Get on, go on the website and sign up to volunteer. Okay, cool. That's awesome. And, and those are, those are opportunities that you can do um, from the comfort of your own home or, if you know you want some FaceTime with people, we would love to have you right here in the district on the Upper West Side on the streets talking to talking to voters. That's so great! I'm so excited for you. Thanks. I mean, I'm I'm optimistic. This is, um, you know, I think what the fundraising numbers show is that this is a serious and viable campaign, uh, and w- which really helps. You know, I I'm I'm an actor, and a lot of people are. Um, they're like, wait, an actor's running for, for city council? Is that the... Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people self-fund their campaigns if they're in that position to do so. Uh, well, w- wealthy... You know, actually, the city's created this, this public matching program. So every, every dollar given by a New York City resident is matched eight times. So $10 is worth 90 all the way up to 175 which is worth oh, awesome. $1,575. Um, so we were able to raise a whole lot of money that way just through small dollar donations from our community. That's really smart. Yeah. What does your family think about your decision to build a career as an artist and now your campaign as well? I am extraordinarily lucky uh, to have an incredibly supportive family. 
Um, I, you know, I say all the time, I could not have done the things that I have done in my life. I would not be where I am in my life without the support of my parents. Um, I, are they still in Michigan? Uh, they, they are retired and they moved to Orlando. Oh, okay. So I have a a, a sunny uh, destination to, to visit, um, over the holidays now, but, uh, they, they have always been 100% on board with, with my decision to become an artist. Uh, and I know that's, that's not true for so many, for so many actors. I, you know, I've heard horror stories from friends who, um, whose parents still, you know, they, they are well into their career. They have a, a, a breadth of, of experience and, and amazing jobs that they've done. Uh, and still their parents are asking, you know, it's not too late to go back to law school. Um, and that's especially true of, of many of my Asian American actor friends. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm just lucky that both of my parents love to love to brag about their actor son. Uh, <laughs> you know, not not many of their friends to see a lot of your work. Do they? Yeah, yeah. They they the city you know, they fly in whenever I'm in a show here in this uh, you know in the city. Um, or around the country, and you know, they always tell their friends. To, they always post on Facebook when I'm on TV, and you know, that's really that's something that's really, really cool. They're they're proud that they get to say, "Hey, my son is on is on HBO Succession tonight." You know, everybody tune in. That's it's a you know, they get to that's fun for them. <laughs> Are either of them artistic? Do they have any creative outlets in their lives? Uh, my dad is a he was a college professor. Um, he taught business his entire career, uh, and he—I'm sure he would be the first one to say that he is a natural performer because that's what he's been <laughs> doing in front of his students uh, you know, for over thirty years. Um, and then my mom was a serial entrepreneur and chef. Um, she had had a number of, of uh, food businesses and a catering business where she would. Uh, you know, she she would do everything. So she would design these these events, weddings and, and parties, uh, where she would do all of the you know the the table displays, and mm-hmm. she would design the recipes and the all the food. Um, so she you know she's always been an, a very creative person. Yeah, uh, and so she I'm, likes an event too. <laughs> oh yeah, she likes an event. It's all it's all a performance. So. Uh, yeah, she's she's a very creative person, and I'm 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 sure I got uh, that that creative spark from um, from both of them. Are there any lessons that you've learned in the last couple years that you're really proud of that you wouldn't mind sharing, big or small? Lessons? Oh yes, Life lessons. Yeah, I, I love I love talking to to young actors, you know, who who've just graduated from school and have just moved to the city because I um, because I'll talk their ear off. I'm uh, yeah, I. It, I don't know about in the last few years, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you some lessons that um, I learned early on mm-hmm. and are actually are still paying off. Every job I ever booked, still to this day, every job I've ever booked has been uh, because of the relationships that I have. And so many, in so many cases, you're only going to get a job in this business, even high, like high-profile TV jobs. You can only get those jobs if the people who are in the uh, who are in the power to give you those jobs know who you are, like you, and have a relationship with you, and trust you to do the job, so relationships are everything in this business. Uh, and I 
in my first year in New York, when I, when I moved here 15 years ago, I promised myself that I would say yes to every social invitation. Mm. And so I went to every party, every musical theater cabaret at the Laurie Beachman, uh, every, every comedy show. I said yes, because I was brand new in the city. I, you know, I only knew a handful of people and I wanted to build my network. And, and young artists always say, you know, everybody tells them network, network, network. And they're like, yeah, but how, what does that mean? And for me, that meant saying yes to every social invitation because you meet people and you build your network organically that way. And guess what? Every job, not only every job I've ever booked has been because I knew the right people and I had those relationships, but also, uh, you know, all of those people that you meet early on, they, it might not be uh, apparent then how they might be able to help you later down the line, but those people end up becoming the people who, who make the decisions, you know, all it's, it's so, it's so cool <laughs> to see everybody grow into, um, you know, into, into themselves in, in, in different, in, you know, various, uh, roles within our community as, as directors and producers, um, and casting directors, mm-hmm. people, people really blossom. Those are, those are people I met at, at cocktail parties 15 years ago. Um, and then, you know, when you announce your your candidacy for city council, suddenly you have this enormous network to call on. I have a vast network that is so much bigger than than most people have, and that that's true of, of most artists. Artists in general, freelancers have very large networks. I've spent the last fifteen years meeting every person I possibly could meet, um, inside and outside of the industry, and. <laughs> you, you, you better believe when you need to fundraise for a city council campaign, that enormous network really comes in handy. <laughs> it's all coming back around. It, it really does. Yeah, you know, so just, be. just me, I mean, not, not everybody is, is an extrovert or, or revels in, in meeting new people, but I, that is my favorite thing to do. I just love meeting new people. Um, and I love keeping those people in my life. Um, yeah. yeah, keep keep people in your life. I've had a, a related experience with this podcast and that I often have people being like, you still, it's amazing that you still have people you want to have on the podcast. I've been doing it for about five years now and it's, I think your episode will be 170 guests. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I, it all just happened along the way somewhere, like you yeah. said, through the various training programs I've been through and the jobs and the, these are all people that I've known and loved and connected with. And it's a solid and their network. stories are important. I, <laughs> I, I scrolled through the list of everyone you've interviewed and there are so many, um, so many of my dear friends, so many actors and artists that I admire and give me inspiration. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty impressive list. Yeah, of people I'm, thinking, I'm not, I'm not done. There's so many artists. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is strange. A lot of people, or that, that question of how do you still have so many people that you want to, that you want to in your <laughs> life? That's, that's, that's such a strange question to me. I, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have like one or two or three friends from high school that they keep in touch with. I literally have 20 who I'm on this this text thread with, and we text <laughs> each other every day. Uh, they're still some of my closest friends. Uh, so it's, yeah, keep people close to you. Yeah. 
I mean, we're just seeing how important that is even more so this year when you realize how much you miss interaction and who those, who those people are that you can really depend on from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're probably closer now than we were before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, just because we, you know, we've all really needed that, that connection. Yeah, no, I, I love that question of, you know, what what lessons have you learned in recent years? Um, you know, a friend of mine has been, she's been kind of doing this poll on Instagram right now about, I think what she's getting at is some piece of good advice that you got as a young creative. But mm-hmm. the thing that she started asking people to contribute on Instagram was what piece of bad advice did you get as a young artist? And I thought that was interesting. This is my friend Kim who uh, made the artwork for the podcast. Um, and the, the one that I always think of is uh, when people say, you know, if you can do anything else, do it. Yeah. And I always find that ironic because artists and actors are some of the most versatile people I know. Like we can all do a million things. Yeah. And many of us often do on the side for money. I always find right. that just a strange, a strange thing to tell young people. That yeah, I've always taken great grievance with with that as well. <laughs> and we were we were told that in school, um, too. And and that that is so true. There are, I have so many different interests besides the arts, um, and I'm lucky that I get to explore some of those interests now through this campaign. Um, but also, there's no reason not to do those other things. I mean, we have, you know, artists, we tend to have a lot of time when we're not practicing our art. Yes, absolutely, like, dedicate your time to that to that, that craft, to that art. But you have time to explore those other interests, and you should, because those are the things that make you a human. Like, if the only thing, as an actor, if the only thing you do is act, what experience are you bringing to the table? Um, you need to be a fully formed human to be a good actor, in, in my opinion, to be a good artist in general. No matter no matter what your art is, you need to have experience in 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 this world and understand what what other people what other people's lives are. If you are in a down place where you feel like you're focusing on that dark side, are there any tangible things that you reach for again and again, like books you go back to, music you listen to, that'll kind of pick you out of it, pick you up out of it quickly? You know, I have to, I have to admit, I don't, I don't have much of a dark side. (laughs) I'm like, I'm really, I'm really struggling to, um, I'm really struggling with that. I kind of, I love, concept. That. I love learning that about you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, regardless I, no, of like when I'm you. I'm trying to think of what that means to me. When, regardless it, of when you go to them, do you have any things like that? Like texts that you are like, this book I constantly reread every year or something like that. Whatever the reason. Oh, um, no. <laughs> That's a fair answer. No, that is fine. I, <laughs> I right. Um, oh, one. You know, there is there is one one story I did want to share um, because you mentioned that a lot of um, you know a lot of actors feel uh, the sense of of competition with with within the community, and yeah, you know, I see I see my friends dealing with that all the time. 
and we, I've had such peculiar experience within the Asian American actor community um, because there are, you know, there's only a handful of us going in for these roles when it's a very specific Asian American role of a certain age. Uh, so I've gotten to know these guys so well, and they are my brothers now. Um, you know, I, I love these guys. And so when I, when I go into an audition, I see them in that waiting room. It's an opportunity for us to catch up on each other's lives. And, and if I don't get that role, then I would love for one of them to get that role. (laughs) And it, it, it takes the competition out of it. Um, because, and I, I don't know if it's, if it's just because of the, the particular people within this community that we are able to bring that sense of love and support to each other. Um, but, you know, even in pilot season, when, you know, we all want to make sure we're all getting out for all the Asian American roles or all the roles that, you know, that we could possibly be considered for, we actually started an email chain um, where when we get an audition for a role, we email each other and say, hey, just got, I just got this audition. Make sure your agents get you in for this. Uh, because, because, like I said, if it's not me, I want it to be them. Uh, it's, you know, so find, find your community, find the people who love and support you, um, because they're the ones, you know, whatever your dark side is, they're the ones who are going to get you through it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last question is, is there any piece of art that you've taken in recently that you want to recommend? Oh my gosh. I have been, so this is this is such a this is such a terrible answer. This is um, <laughs> uh, oh man. So because I've been campaigning for the last two months, like I, I I don't have time to read or even watch television. Um, but my my one uh, relief at the end of the day has been TikTok. <laughs> Are you on TikTok? I'm not. I I don't make TikToks because I don't have time to make TikToks, but. I am a consumer of TikToks and it is changing our culture, especially with, with Gen Z. Um, they are so incredibly creative and, uh, you know, that, that, well, you know, like I said before, art gives us that, um, that, that culture to hang on to where we, you know, we have that common culture that we, that we share. And TikTok is doing that, where they create mm-hmm. these trends, where suddenly millions of people around the world are are um, are following this trend, um, and the trend only lasts for a few weeks, and then it's over, and then there's a new trend. Uh, but it gives us this common language to to connect with each other. Um, it's it's a really it's a really cool platform that is completely different than than Instagram or or Facebook or Twitter. Um, it, it creates these communities, uh, and, and the, the kinds of content that people are putting out are so creative. Uh, it's, it's endlessly entertaining. And, okay. um, yeah, I, sh- I, I should get it just, just so that I, I know what's it. going on. Yeah. It's, it's that algorithm is dangerous though, because it figures out exactly what you <laughs> like, and then it just gives you more of that. Um, and so I, you know, I see a lot of puppy, puppy videos, and, and cookie, uh, like uh, baking videos. That's, that's most of my content. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it so much. Thank you. This is such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me share my story. 
Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.